Welcome to the Dwelling Place Church audio podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message. We pray God speaks to you today through this message and through his word. For more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org. Now, it's time to listen to this week's message. I've been talking about the story of the kingdom. Jesus came to make the kingdom clear, to make the heart and the spirit of the kingdom visible, experienced. Did you know, uh, you're going to have to follow me today, I'm, 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 I got so much going on on the inside of me, it, it's going to, anyway, we got about 17 messages about to come out, but uh, <laughs> did you know that, that Barna, George Barna, if you're not aware who that is, he's a statistician. Um, doing stats and research primarily on um, the Christian church um, or those who claim the name of Christ or not. But did you know that statistically 80% of American Christians have never encountered and experienced, they say, God's presence and power? 80%. That's mind-blowing to me. Well, I guess maybe not when you look at the state sometimes in America, but... What am I saying? Listen to me. When I begin to experience God's manifest presence and power, that's what got me to a place of stability enough to then get the Word of God taught to me. I wasn't stable enough. I was broken, jacked up, messed up. But once I experienced His manifest presence and power, I knew now this is real. Didn't understand it all. Didn't know it all, but it got me to a place of stability. said, I'm open to learn, open to grow. And I feel, I feel the Father's desire for this community. I love all my brothers and sisters, but we got brothers and sisters in our community that have never experienced the manifest presence and power of God. And why is that important? Because you get someone who's been in the Father's house all that time and never experienced all the love and power and presence of the Father to experience it for the first time? Oh, amen. Yeah, they're preaching on stage. They're going to be like a wild man for Jesus in the community. They're going to start telling people about Jesus. And I just, I just see. I see not just where we're at as a church, but where we're going to be. Amen? And that excites me. It excites me. But what is the story of the kingdom? Well, it's a greater story than any Disney movie could ever make. Yeah, I know Dora, Dory 2 or whatever it is, Finding Dory, what is it too? I know that's going to be a great one and I'm sure a classic. But there's no classic like the story of the kingdom. Story of the kingdom. Jesus came and he begins to teach and preach about the kingdom of God. We've been looking at it. We've looked about holiness in his kingdom. We've looked about seeing in his kingdom. We've looked about our father in his kingdom. Today we're going to look at a message titled, Keys in His Kingdom. In fact, I want to remind you that there on the Bible app, you can go and find Dwelling Place Church, and all of this is loaded into that app. You can share it. You can follow along. If you didn't get a sermon card, you can wave your hand, and Bryce or someone in the back will get it to you. This is also for you throughout the week to see it. Well, let me tell you up front that the story of the kingdom is a story about seeing and hearing. It's a story about seeing that leads to perceiving. It's a story about hearing 
and understanding. Jesus said that our seeing the kingdom is to lead to us perceiving. And our hearing about the kingdom is to lead to understanding. Do you know that you can see a lot of things and not yet perceive what it is you're seeing? A lot of times I'm like that when I'm driving on 75 in like South Georgia. You know what I'm talking about? There's like nothing around except billboard, 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 billboard. I mean, it's just billboard after billboard. And you see so many billboards that you're looking in the distance and you're like trying, your mind starts trying to figure out what is it is you're seeing. You're seeing something, but you're not yet understanding what it is you're seeing. You remember back in, I think it was like the 90s. I think I was maybe in high school or middle school. You remember when they came out with those pictures that looked like a jumble mess? And you'd be walking through the mall and there's this big line of people and they're staring like this. You're like, what in the world's wrong with these people? They're like mesmerized. And, like, and what it is, it's the longer you stared at the picture, you began to see the picture that was actually within the picture. Just looking at it, just seeing it, didn't allow you to understand what you were seeing. But there came a moment that you began to actually understand what it is you were seeing. This is what the kingdom of God is like. Listen, one of the many, many gates that keep people from actually experiencing and encountering the kingdom of God is the gate of religion. They think they see Jesus. They think they know Jesus. They think they've got all of Jesus controlled because they can grasp and control the Bible. But I found I was not just blind and began to see one time when I became a child of God, but I found that many times throughout life I have found that I was blind and needed to see Jesus more clearly, needed to see His kingdom more precisely. Anybody know what I'm talking about? The kingdom... It's about seeing that leads to perceiving and hearing that leads to understanding. When Jesus was transfigured before Peter, James, and John, a manifestation of the kingdom to come when he will visibly reign over the nations for a thousand years in the age to come, the Father speaks and he tells Peter, James, and John to hear him. The kingdom is about hearing him, about seeing him, about perceiving and understanding. Let me give you some examples. Jesus in his ministry. Luke 6, 47, whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them. It's a wise man. Matthew 13, 23, he who receives seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it and bears fruit. Jesus said, what you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops. Jesus said, he who has ears, let him hear. Jesus said, take heed how you hear. Jesus said, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God. Notice that. The kingdom of God that Jesus came to preach and demonstrate, he keeps talking about hearing. Luke 9, 44, he says, let these words sink down into your ears. See, I can hear something and not really hear something. Just let it sink down. Had an amazing testimony this week from someone who I believe is probably in late 40s, maybe 50s, and, uh, you know, confessed Jesus as Savior in an early age. Wonderful person. Uh, um, and they were just telling me that as they were going through the curriculum and the divine design for discipleship and in foundation phase, when we began to talk about having the rock revealed, about not just Jesus saving you from hell and not just Jesus getting you to heaven one day, but having a revelation of who Jesus is and who he wants to be in the present, that for the first time they got that revelation and now the relationship with Jesus was not just about one day in heaven and one day escaping hell, but they experienced a change of mind in repentance by seeing that Jesus is Lord and King of kings. The Lord let it hurt to be water baptized again and her testimony began to encourage others that there's more 
that we can see. There is more of Him that we can know. Jesus continues. He says, having eyes, do you not see? Jesus said, first remove the plank from your own eye, then you will see clearly. Jesus said, blessed are the eyes which see the things you see to His disciples. Jesus called the multitude to Himself and said, hear and understand. Notice that. Hear and understand. It's connected. Jesus said, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand, the devil takes the word that they heard and removes it. Jesus tells the disciples, how do you not understand concerning bread? I'm not talking to you about bread. How are you not understanding? I'm saying beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Jesus said, do you not yet understand that what enters the mouth goes into the stomach is eliminated? Notice Jesus understanding. Notice Jesus seeing. Notice Jesus hearing. Last week we focused on perceiving our Father and His kingdom. Jesus came to reveal the Father. Jesus repeat many times in His ministry. He says, my Father. He says, your Father. But you know which one He said the most? Our Father. This is a community thing. In fact, you will often begin to see Jesus in ways you've never saw Him before when you begin to experience Jesus in His community. You'll begin to hear Jesus probably a lot clearer when you walk with Jesus in the midst of a community of Jesus' followers. Oh, the gospel of the kingdom confronts up front this idea of, a, of American Christianity that it's just me and Jesus. Well, oftentimes the people that have me and Jesus who think they have so much of Jesus, oftentimes I found they have so little of Jesus. Because he says, it's when we in community... There's so much of him that takes all of us to reveal the greatness of his heart for those around us. The plurality of his gifts and his desires. We saw though that our father in his kingdom, he gives and he gives keys. We talked about last week the key of purpose that unlocks the purpose of proclamation. Notice that deals with hearing, the proclamation of Christ. We talked about the key of priority and how it should unlock for us the priority of preparation, the priority of what we pursue in life, the priority of people over projects in our life. That deals with how we see people, how we see things. We talked about the key of presence, how that it should unlock the presence of parties, that your presence in the life of other people should unlock in them a sense of joy and excitement that the kingdom's at hand, that they don't have to stay broken, they don't have to stay messed up, that Jesus has broken the prison house of bondage and he has removed the doors that was on it and that they could come into freedom, they can come into hope, they can come into forgiveness, they can come into peace and the joy of the kingdom. But today I want to look at three more aspects needed for us to progress fully towards understanding the kingdom of God. Those three things are power, permission, and power. See, the story of the kingdom is a story about power. It's a story about permission. It's a story about posture. Let me speak for a moment about power. In Luke 4, 14, the Bible says Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. Jesus, after his water baptism, he was led by the Holy Spirit to pray and fast for 40 days in the wilderness. He returns after 40 days of praying and fasting, filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Filled with the power. Jesus has the power of the Holy Spirit. In Luke chapter 5 verse 4, you read of a story. Jesus wanted to minister and he borrows a boat of a man named Simon that we know as Peter. And when he finishes, he tells Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. 
But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we've toiled all night. We've caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. Now, if that wasn't amazing enough and astounding enough, the result is once Peter experienced that Jesus has the power to fill his net with fish, the Bible says he falls down in the presence of this man who has power to do what he was unable to do. He'd been fishing and toiling all night and caught nothing. And Jesus, at his word, calls a multitude of fish to enter the net. And Peter falls down and says, Lord, I'm a sinful man. Very interesting. You know we live in a lake community, right? We got Lake Alatoona, got Lake Lanier. Maybe you grew up around a lake or not, but notice he said, launch out into the deep. If you like lake life and you like boats and you like skiing and you like doing those things, listen to me, you don't stay in the shallow end. If you want to experience the joy and the fun of skiing and the boat, you got to launch out into the deep because boats don't work in the shallow end. You know what's in the shallow end? The blow-up toys. The little floaties. And sometimes not just plastic floaties, but the floaties of kids. You know what I'm talking about. And a lot of times, what keeps floating in our life stinks and grosses us out because we won't launch out into the deep. We think we've experienced all that God has. We think we know the full story of the kingdom of God. We think we've seen all that there is in Jesus. There's angels in heaven right now who are surrounding the throne of God. They're filled with eyes on the outside and eyes on the inside. And they keep saying, holy, holy, holy. Why? Because God's kingdom and God himself is so full of complexity and beauty and simplicity that their eyes are constantly seeing more of the depth of God. Launch out into the deep. And some of the floaties will begin to float away from your life. There'll be more of the adventure of the kingdom. Well, why does he fall down? Why does he say, I'm a sinful man? Because listen, for the first time in his life, he's standing in the presence of a man who is living out what Genesis 1 says. And him being a good Jewish boy knows what the text says in Genesis, that God created them, male and female, to have dominion over all the earth. Watch this. And the fish of the sea. He has now encountered for the first time a man who has all authority. A man who's walking in the authority of the original purpose of God and the kingdom of God. How does he know that? Because he has just experienced a man that has all authority over the fish of the sea see and now Peter perceives for the first time that this is not a normal man this is a man that has the power of the kingdom of God this is the man that we've been waiting for and he says oh I'm a sinful man sinful man sinful man Jesus has the power of the Spirit. Jesus has the power for a great catch of fish. Jesus has authority over the fish of the sea but he's got even more Power and authority in Luke 5, 24. It's a paralyzed man and Jesus heals him and he says, but you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. 
said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, arise, take up your bed and go to your house. Notice this, Jesus has power on earth to forgive sins. Not just power when we get to heaven to have our sins cleansed, our sins removed, our sins forgiven. The apostle John says he was manifested to take away our sins, to take away in the here and now. He has the power to cleanse us, to cleanse us of our struggles, to cleanse us of our sins, to cleanse us of our bondages. He has all power to forgive and cleanse and remove our sins. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And the gospel is one of power. Paul said the kingdom of God is not in word and only. It's in power of the Holy Spirit. It is the one who has all power to enter in into our situation, to enter into our circumstance, to enter into our heart and our mind and places of our soul and the depth of the resources of our life and to bring something we've never caught before, to catch joy, to catch peace, to catch deliverance, to catch His will for our life. He has power. Somebody say he has power. He don't just have power though. He has all power. There is no authority above the name of Jesus. There is no one higher than Jesus Christ himself. It doesn't matter what nations do and presidents do. I'm telling you today that according to the word of God, there still is a higher power. And his name is Jesus Christ. And one day he will come and truly unite the nations with his peace and with his love and with his role of righteousness. And he will reign visibly for thousands of years. And Jesus has all power. He's also Lord of the Sabbath. Pharisees and the Sadducees get mad at Jesus and his disciples are walking on the Sabbath through the grain fields. I'd like to do that one day. You know, walk through the grain fields. Because when I walk through the fields around my house, I got about 42 chiggers on me right now. So maybe in the grain fields, it'd be more of the kingdom experience right now. But I'm learning. I'm learning. City boy's learning. Don't take shorts out into the woods. My face not there yet. To walk through the woods without chiggers, like Peter walked on the water for a while. But they're walking, they're plucking the grain. They get mad, say, oh, they're working on the Sabbath. Jesus says, listen, you not heard what David did? David went into the temple when it wasn't lawful to do it. When he was hungry and those with him, he ate of the showbread that was only lawful for the priest. He says, and I'm greater than David. I am the Lord of the Sabbath. What is he saying? I'm the Lord of every day. I don't know what your day is today. I don't even know what your season is. I don't know the season you've been in. I don't know the brokenness you bring in here. I don't know the circumstances you're facing today and tomorrow. But what I do know is Jesus Christ is Lord over your day. He is Lord over the situations. He has all authority and power. And what I face today and what you face today and what we face tomorrow never changes the fact that he has all power. He has all power. This is the faith we have. It's the faith we have. Just like you have to believe that no matter what happens in the world and no matter what people say, that the fact is Jesus Christ came to this earth. He was crucified. He died. He was buried, but he rose victorious. And what I feel about that and what people say about that doesn't change the fact that he is Lord and risen today. Well, it's the same thing about all power. It doesn't matter what I feel today. It doesn't matter what I face today. There's no circumstance. There's no event. There's nothing that's been or ever shall be that changes the fact that today he's sitting at the right hand of God with all power. There's no politics. There's no persuasion. There's no circumstance that changes the fact that he has all power. He has all power. All authority. This is what he said after his resurrection in what we call the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 18 and 20. He says, now I have all power and authority. Go. 
You know, Paul prayed for us as believers, those of us that are believers here today. He prayed for the church of Ephesus, Ephesus and it's the same for us today in Ephesians 1, 17 through 21. And he prayed that the eyes of our heart would be enlightened, that the Father would give us. Remember, the Father gives in his kingdom, but he would give us light. He would give us revelation and wisdom. And one of the three things he prays that we would get enlightened to, that we would begin to perceive, that we would begin to have understanding about, is the power that God worked when he raised Jesus Christ from the dead, having seated him above all authority. Above all authority, Paul prayed that we would begin to understand and perceive that Jesus has all authority. There's no demon, there's no circumstance, there's no name, there's no event. There's nothing that he has not been raised over. He has all authority. Revelation 1.8, the apostle John sees Jesus in this state as one. He's not just a man, but he's one that has all authority. And Revelation 1.18, he says, Jesus says to John, I am he who lives and was dead. Behold, I am alive forevermore, amen, and I have the keys of Hades and death. Do you know the devil doesn't even have keys to his own house? That Jesus Christ marched down there and he took the keys. He took the keys to death, hell, and the grave. And he now has opened the prison house and the place where the devil's trying to keep people blind. But they could walk free today because Jesus Christ has unlocked the prison house of bondage. Is all authority. All authority. What does this mean for you and what you're facing? What does it mean for me and what I'm facing? What does it mean for what we're facing as a church, as a community, or for those of us that are married? What does it mean? Here's what it means. Listen to me. Only when I perceive His power will the peace of His kingdom prevail in my life. Listen to me. Peace of the kingdom is not dependent upon what happens in a nation and what happens in a home and what happens in a circumstance and what's happening on your job and what's happening in your family. The peace of the kingdom is only dependent on you perceiving that Jesus Christ, the king of the kingdom, has all power. That's the difference between peace and happiness. Happiness is based on happenstances. The peace of the kingdom of God is based on you perceiving that Jesus has all power. What is the fight regarding does Jesus have all power? It's the fight of faith, Paul said. That means there's going to be contradicting evidence. It means you can turn on the news. It means you can read Newsweek. It means you can look in the newspaper or look at the blogs or the internet or listen to people around you or look at the circumstances you're facing. And there's going to be contradicting evidence that seems to try to convince you that Jesus doesn't have all power. But listen to me. When you want to experience the kingdom peace, You look to perceive. Does the things actually change? The fact that he has all power. And the answer is no. Jesus has the name above every name. Jesus Christ was raised with all authority. Jesus Christ is Lord and King of the kingdom that is at hand. This is the gospel of the kingdom. Jesus is saying, I have all authority and power. You remember Jesus was invited? To the house of a Pharisee. And he's in this party in this house of the Pharisee. And this woman busts in. She begins to take her glory in what the Bible calls her hair. Which is very valued in that culture. 
woman's hair. And she begins to take her hair and that which is of value and begins to wash his feet with her hair and her tears. The Pharisees are perceiving if Jesus really knew who this woman was, he wouldn't allow that. But they're perceiving it wrong. And Jesus says, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Watch this. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Watch this. Then he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Here's a woman around religious people who didn't perceive that they're in the presence of the one that has all power. But a woman perceived that Jesus had all power and she comes and in her presence begins to worship him. And because she perceives that he has all power, she goes in peace. She doesn't go in peace because her circumstances change. She doesn't go in peace that maybe her family relationships has changed. She doesn't go in peace because maybe her career is better and things are beginning to turn around. She goes in peace because she has perceived that the presence of the one before her has all power. Can I tell you that the one that has all power, his presence is here, that he never leaves you nor forsakes you, that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, that the psalmist said, where can I go for your presence? We just need our perception to see. He has all power. And when I can perceive that what I'm facing, He still has all power over, then and only then to the level I perceive He has all power can I experience the peace of His kingdom that it brings. That it brings. Perceiving His power brings peace. You remember when Jesus tells the disciples, they're in a boat, let's go to the other side. He takes a nap. It's a good lesson there. When Jesus says something and there's no conditions attached to what he said, it's going to happen. You can bank on it. He that is faithful to say it is faithful to perform it. So you know what Jesus did after he said, let's go to the other side? He took a nap. As he's taking a nap, a storm begins to arise. The winds begin to blow. The waves, some say, begin to, to peak at 12 feet. And the disciples begin to freak out, but Jesus is sleeping. They wake him up. They say, Master, Master, do you not care that we're perishing? He gets up. He speaks to the storm. He speaks to the wind. In Mark's account, he says, be at peace. Instantly, the wind ceases. The waves return to normal. And he says in verse 25, where is your faith? They were afraid. They marveled. They said to one another, who can this be? Watch this. For he even commands the winds and water and they obey him. Here they are saying, Jesus, Jesus, Master, you're Lord of my life. Why is this happening though? Do you not care? Why are there winds? Why are there waves? You're master. You're my Lord. I've confessed you. Why are there winds and waves in our life? And you know what he says back to them? They're saying to Jesus, do you not care that we're perishing? He's saying to them, do you not perceive I have all authority? Notice what the faith is attached to. 
The faith is attached to not that we as disciples won't go through tribulations, not that people will wrong us, not that circumstances will blow against us, but what he's saying is when we feel like freaking out and saying, Lord, I'm perishing, why are you allowing this? That we instead get the perception that he still has all power, that though winds come and waves blow, it doesn't change the fact that he has all power. He is saying, do you not perceive I have all power? That I can stop at this moment. I can stop the shame this moment. I can stop the hurt that's been up to this point. I can begin to fix things and change things. and I can begin to bring peace to circumstances. I can begin to do it because I have all authority. Remember the woman with the issue of blood? She pressed through the crowd. You know why? Because she perceived that there was a man named Jesus who had all power. And the Bible says when she touched him, that power went out of Jesus and touched her. And immediately the, the flow of blood was healed. Jesus knowing that virtue... The anointing of God left him. He turns around and says, who touched me? The woman comes and confesses as I did. Here's what he says. Listen, your faith has made you well. Watch this. Go in peace. Crowd's still there. But you know why she can go in peace? You know why she's experiencing kingdom peace now? In the area where she was bleeding, in the area where she was hurting, in the situation that had been allowed and permitted and going on for years because now she perceived he had all authority. What does this mean? It means this is the challenge I face just like you. Is that when circumstances happen and things happen, they want to challenge, do I believe that he still has all authority? But faith is not based on what we feel and what we see in the natural and what we experience. Faith is built on seeing to perceive and hearing to understand that there's nothing that can happen in this city, in this community, in this nation, in any nation, in your home, in your relationships that change the fact that He alone has all authority. All authority. So listen, there is no situation that can change the fact that Jesus has all power, but we can allow situations to change the amount of peace we have. To the degree that my heart surrenders to the fact that Jesus has all power is to the degree to which my mind may have peace. May have peace. When I begin to perceive that Jesus truly has all power, then I'll begin to have to wrestle with the key of permission regarding the kingdom. Let me talk to you about permission. In Luke chapter 7 and verse 2, the Bible says there's a certain centurion. That means he was over soldiers in the Roman army. And he had a a servant that was dear to him. And this servant is sick, ready to die. He hears about Jesus. He sends elders of the Jews to him, pleading with Jesus to come and heal his servant. They come to Jesus. They beg him. They say, look, Lord, this one has sent us. He's worthy of this request. He's built us a synagogue. He's helped us in dealing with Rome. Verse 6, so Jesus goes with them. It was already not far from the house. The centurion sent friends to him, saying to him, Lord, do you not trouble yourself? For I'm not worthy that you should enter under my roof. Therefore, I did not even think myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. Watch this. Verse 8. For I also am a man placed under authority. I have soldiers under me, and I say to one, go, and he goes. I say to another soldier, come, and he comes. I say to another servant, do this, and he does that. Notice what this soldier understands. It's not that he tells one to go. It's not that he tells one to come. It's not that he tells one to do and they have a discussion about it. No, no, no. This man understands power and authority. Permission. He knows when he tells the soldier to go that it's not up for debate. The soldier goes. 
And because he understands and perceives about permission and authority, he perceives that Jesus has the same power to permit things or not permit things. And he says, just give the word. Verse 9, when Jesus heard these things, he marveled at the man. He turned around to the crowd that followed him and said, I say to you, I've not found faith, such great faith, not even in all of Israel, the community of God at that time. What was the faith that amazed Jesus is that here is a man who understood authority and power and permission. Here's a man that knew that Jesus could get one word to stop what up to that point was permitted in his circumstance. Jesus could give one word and began to permit things that maybe the enemy had been holding back in a person's life. It's the same. Permission. Permission. I don't know about you, but I remember in middle school and high school, hall passes. And there was nothing like walking down a hall with a hall pass. Oh, the confidence you had, the peace you had. I mean, you're waiting for teachers to come to the door and stick out and say, What are you doing? Boom! Hall pass. Silence. I mean, you're waiting. And it was one thing to have a hall pass from a teacher. It was a whole nother level to have a hall pass from the principal. Oh, I'm telling you, it's like you own the school. You're walking around. But you know the amazing thing is when I got a hall pass from a teacher or a principal, I'm walking in the hall with peace. I'm walking with the sense that it's going to be okay. If a teacher in a circumstance arrives, that's okay. I show them the hall pass. Silence. But you know what was interesting? Is there would be other people in the hall. But they didn't have a hall pass. And though they were in the hall, they were there without permission. Because they were there without permission, their experience was different than my experience because I had peace because I knew when someone challenges me, I have an authority that's not of my own that's allowing me. They didn't have peace. They're sneaking around, you know, looking out. I mean, they're, they're trying to be like a ninja because they know they get caught and it's done for. Done for. Listen to me. This is about permission. The enemy tries to come into your life when you're vulnerable, when you're weary, when you're distracted, and he tries to sneak in. He tries to get into the hall of your heart and the hall of your mind and the hall of your relationships. And he tries to see if you understand that you've been given a hall pass, a name called Jesus. You've been given the will of the Father. And if you will use and permit Jesus and his authority to work through you to not allow what is unlawful that's trying to stay in your life. See, this is how the kingdom is. Listen, Jesus did not come who had all authority and make us bow down to him. He didn't come with sword. He didn't come with physical brute force. He came and he wanted his love and what he demonstrated, the kingdom of God, to persuade us, to permit his power to operate in our life. Do you know why many things stay in our life? It's because we don't permit the one who has all power to enter in into that situation when he can, with one word, permit it to happen no longer. Some of us, we like to dabble with the issues. We like self-pity. We like 
going around the same mountain. But if we will give permission today to the one who has all power, he can give a word and cause those things to be permitted no longer in your life, no longer in the hall of your mind, in the hall of your family, in the hall of your circumstance. He can speak to storms and winds and say, be peace. He can do it. He can do it. Permit. Permission. I heard earlier, there's people. You need to give the Holy Spirit permission to persuade you. The Father's love and presence that's with you. It's not your circumstances that are going to persuade you that the Father loves you and is with you. It's going to be faith in the fact that Jesus is perceived by you to having all authority, that He came and He rose victorious, and that is enough evidence. He has all authority. Permission. It's an amazing story. Is it lawful permission? Is it unlawful permission? In Luke 8 and 26, they sailed to another country in the Gadarenes. They step out on the land. A man meets him from the city. He's had demons for a long time. He wore no clothes. He didn't live in a house. He lived in the tombs. He sees Jesus. He cries out. He falls down before him. And with a loud voice, he says, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me says, for he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For it had often seized him, and he was kept under guard, bound with chains and shackles. And he broke the bonds and was driven by the demon into the wilderness. Jesus asked him, what is your name? He said, Legion, because many demons had entered him. Watch this. And they begged him, Jesus, that he would not command them to go into the abyss. Now a herd of many swine was feeding there on the mountain. So they begged him that he would permit them to enter them, and he permitted them. The demons entered the swine. The swine runs off the steep place. You know, they found the bones recently there in that lake of this very story. You can go research it and verify it. The people around come out. They see a man that's been demon-possessed, clothed in his right mind, sitting at the feet of Jesus. And they are like, what in the world's going on? The very next thing happens is the man who has just been delivered from demons. In verse 38, he begs Jesus that he might be with Jesus in his boat of ministry and with his disciples. Watch this. But Jesus did not permit him. That's what Mark's account says. But said, return to your own house. Tell what great things God has done for you. And he went his way, proclaimed throughout the whole city what great things Jesus had done. This is amazing to me. Here demons needed permission to enter pigs. Here's a man asking for permission to enter the boat of ministry with Jesus. Jesus gives permission to the demons to enter pigs. And he doesn't give permission to a man to enter his boat of ministry. What is the heart of this? He has all authority. And he can permit things or not permit things when you perceive his power and authority. When you bring him in, he can permit the right things and he can stop the wrong things to be permitted any longer to hit your life. This is why so many believers in our country get absolutely ravaged and devoured by the enemy. For a lack of knowledge, my people are destroyed. They think that anything that happens in their life, any wind that blows, any wave that comes, that it's just okay. No, no, no. The Father wants you in that moment to perceive that the Son has all authority and you invite his authority to come into your situation and to permit it no longer. You ever remember back in the day, I'm showing my age some, I know, but talk to the hand. 
Boy, there's a lot of talking to the hand going on back in the day. Girls would do it often to me. And, but the good news is I've overcame rejection. Praise God. But talk to the hand. Listen, when things begin to come, things begin to blow, you don't just allow anything. Look and perceive the one that has all power and begin to say, talk to the hand of God about that. Bring God's hand and His permission to permit or not permit into your situation. Watch Him change the things that need to be changed. Watch Him stop the things that need to be stopped. Permission. Remember Jesus in Luke 9, He calls the disciples to Himself. He gives them power and authority over all demons, to cure diseases, to preach the kingdom of God, to heal the sick. What did He do? He permitted them to have the ability to use His power and ability. In the kingdom of God, you've got to understand about permission. This is not a democracy. It's not just where we are supposed to do whatever we want. We need a hall pass to permit or not be permitted. But when you bring permission of the Lord into your situation and what you're facing because you perceive He has all power, listen to me, it brings a peace that surpasses all understanding. Just like I had a peace walking down the hall. Why? Because you know you're not going in your own direction, in your own way, in your own authority. You're following the way, walking in His authority, with His name, and with His blessing upon what you do. It's a whole different peace. Peace. You do not perceive His power correctly. Listen. Then we might not perceive what may need His permission for His power to correct. Do you know how the Holy Spirit is often referred to in Scripture? As a dove. You know why? Because a dove is gentle. In fact, when I've been out in the woods or in land, I've never had a dove stand before my path and challenge me. Who are you in my domain? Oh, the, the Holy Spirit is not going to override your will. And there's times circumstances and things continue because the one who has all power is waiting on us to give the Holy Spirit permission to change and speak and move regarding what we're facing. Give the Holy Spirit permission to cause you to experience God's power. And things that up until this point have been permitted. Maybe rejection. Maybe a sense of inferiority. Maybe depression. Maybe, maybe um, certain sins have still been permitted in your life. Don't allow them to talk you out of perceiving that Jesus still has all power. And inviting the Holy Spirit to have permission to cause you to experience that power. This is what the kingdom of God is about. It's not in words. It is power. It's the demonstration. It's the experience that leads to you going in peace in an area where there's not might might not have been peace up to this point. You remember when Jesus went back to his hometown? In Matthew 13? He said a prophet is received or perceived as a prophet anywhere else, but in his hometown around his own folk, they don't perceive. And because his hometown where he grew up did not perceive who he was, they were not able to experience his power that could change the situation. In Matthew 13, verse 57, it says they were offended at him, and they said to him, Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country and in his own house. Watch this. Now he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. If I ever think about so many believers that I'm burdened for today, 
is that they don't see the Lord do mighty things for them. You know why? Because they're not perceiving that he has all power. And because they don't perceive he has all power, they don't give him permission to release that power into a situation. They just think whatever happens, happens. Whatever happens is God's will. That kind of thinking will allow the devil to bring destruction. You got to perceive he has power and say, Lord, you bring your lawful will in this area. I permit you. Why? That's why Jesus taught us, taught us to pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done. You're inviting it. You're giving permission for his will to be done in areas. In areas. Now, when you began and I began and we began to perceive he has all power, that lawful things require his permission, then listen, it will dictate our posture. You remember the story of Esther and she needed to go before the king? Because some things at that point were being permitted. And she needed the king to use his power to no longer allow those things to be permitted. But to do it, it affected her posture. She didn't rush into the presence of the king. Because if you rush into the presence of the king and he's not welcomed you and put the scepter out, then bad things could happen. What it means is, is when we understand that we're coming to Him who alone is worthy, Him alone that was the Lamb slain before the foundation of the earth, when we perceive Him correctly and we need His permission, we need His law, His rule, His kingdom in areas of our life so that we can experience the fact that He has all power, then it affects our posture. I mean, think about things you're going through and you come in here in a gathering and you need to get the lawful permission of the Lord in that circumstance. You need the experience of God's will in that area. Wonder if we came in with the right perception that he has all power, that we need his permission to come and to begin to change things, and we want to give it. Do you know how we would come in here? We'd come in here like a kingdom posture, like little children. See, earlier I was seeing and felt like a, a kid in a candy store. Listen. Where all has already been paid for. A kid in a candy store where everything's already been paid for. Eyes wide open. Oh my gosh, I've never, I've never seen, I've never seen that the candy store, the 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 provision that oh my gosh, look, oh, look, look at this. I've never this is kingdom. Seeing and hearing new things that. The Father has paid for in full through Jesus Christ and the posture He took on the cross. Let me talk about some postures. See, sometimes His power will not be permitted to flow until I'm in the right posture. A lot of times we say, Lord, I'm perishing. Do you not care? He says, no, I care, but I need you in the right posture. James 4 says that God has more grace. He has more ability to influence your situation in your life more than you can ever imagine. But he only gives more grace to those in the posture of humility. He resists those in a posture of pride. Posture. You know in Luke chapter 9 verse 11, you know where we talk about the multiplication of the fish and the loaves? The Bible says that a multitude following him, he's teaching. They're away. The disciples said, send them away that they can go into towns and find lodging and find food. He looks at the disciples and said, no, you give them something to eat. They're like, uh, we're not ready for this test. Fail. <laughs> 
Jesus says, here's what he says. He says, you make them sit down in groups of 50. Notice he said, make them sit down. Once they were made to sit down, Jesus multiplied the needed provision. What does that mean? It means sometimes God's power to bring the provision that's needed into our life doesn't happen until we're made to sit down and get in the right posture. Because if God released his power in the posture some of us are at, we would actually think that it's our ability that has changed the situation. It's actually our wisdom, our intellect, our our thing. And No, no, no. We got to be made to sit down at times. That's why he says don't forsake the gathering of yourself. Come in week after week. And be made to sit down so that you can be reminded again, though you got circumstances blowing outside these doors, though you're facing some winds and some challenges, you're made to sit down so the Holy Spirit can cause you to perceive again that Jesus still has all power and He is waiting for you to give Him permission to move, permission to change it, permission to enter into it so you can experience His power in that area. The posture. You know, as our children grow, We find them more and more in their learning curve and postures of attitudes and postures of behavior that's not acceptable. And thank God that someone made something called time out. Jesus made it. He made them sit down. And we make our children sit down and time out at times until they begin to perceive again the authority that we have to train and equip them, but also perceive the authority that God's given them to make the right choices. Sometimes to perceive that the siblings they're fighting with are made in the image of God, and that's not the way that you treat other people. That's what these moments are. Not in punishment... But there are times for us to be sit down, to have a time out from the winds that are blowing, from the enemy that's assailing your soul, that's attacking circumstances in your life, so that we can, by the Holy Spirit, begin to perceive and see again that it doesn't change the fact that my King, my Lord, has all power. That He can speak one word and permit it no more. He can speak one word and call barrenness in my life to begin to be blossom again, to fruitfulness to begin to come again, to begin to use me again. Posture. The posture to partake. What is that? In Luke 14, 11, he says, Whoever exalts himself will be humble. But if you humble yourself, if you get in the posture of humility, looking to God, giving God permission, turning to God, then he says you will be exalted. Exalted. Posture to partake. Also, a posture during this phase. What do I mean? Jesus Christ is not visibly reigning over the ages, but yet his kingdom is here. But it's got to be perceived. It's got to be understood to enter it. And he says about the posture during this phase as we wait for the soon return of our Lord. He says in Luke 17, 4, If anybody sins against you seven times in a day and seven times in a day returns to you, saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. I think our response would be just like the disciples. And the apostles said to the Lord, Increase our faith. Faith in what? That this is the posture of God's children in the kingdom. This is the posture of Jesus. Blow after blow. Picking, plucking out his beard, all his hair, thorn after thorn. You know, back being plowed open, being hit time after time. And what is he still saying? Forgive them, forgive them, forgive them. You know why? Because now those of us that have been born again, we have the nature of the Father. We have a nature that is forgiving. Posture of Forgiveness. But then he goes on. He says, If faith is a mustard seed, you can say the mulberry tree be pulled up by the roots, it will. It will obey you. 
Then he says in verse 7, Which of you having a servant plowing or tending sheep will say to him when he has come in the field, Come at once and sit down to eat? But will he not rather say to him, Prepare something for my supper and gird yourself and serve me till I've eaten and till I've drunk? And afterward, afterward you'll eat and drink. Does he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded? I think not. So likewise you, this is kingdom posture, when you have done all those things which you are commanded, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done what was our duty to do. What he says, during this phase, while we're waiting for the coming of the Lord, we stay in a posture of, it's just my duty to do what? To hear his word, obey his word, and watch the word bring fruitfulness. He says, what servant, after they've been working all day and they come in before the master sits down and starts eating? No, no, no. They've been working all day, but when they come in, they still have to prepare a meal for the master. Only when the master's well fed do they then sit down and eat. What's he saying? He's saying that the father, the husbandman, the vineyard, the, uh, the vine dresser, he's hungry. He's hungry for more of his lost children that are right now in addictions and in brokenness and helplessness. The father is hungry for more fruit, more peace, and more joy on the earth. And we're not just to say, well, Lord, I've been obedient up to this point. we got to remember that in this phase, it is our duty to stay in a posture. I am just doing what the Lord tells me to do. But there's coming an age. There's coming... A king, and when he comes, his rewards are with me. The posture is not us walking around saying, you know, if you only knew what they did to me, but I've forgiven them. Oh, pastor, you know, if you only knew how faithful I was, I haven't missed a gathering in five years, if you just knew. Oh, if you just knew how much I've served the Lord and did. No, 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 no. Listen, the posture during this phase in the kingdom of God is that we're just mere servants. It is our duty to do nothing but hear God, obey God, and let His Word bring fruitfulness. There's coming a time where then we actually enter the physical rest. You know, ain't it interesting Paul didn't say put on? Put on the pajamas. I saw a minister put that on Facebook. I thought that was great. He didn't say in Ephesians 6, put on the pajamas and just, you know, sip on some, you know, some, uh, some nice uh, smoothie. No, no, no. He said in Ephesians 6, put on the armor of God. In this phase, we're in the battle, but the Father wants His fruit. To begin to touch mouths, begin to people to taste and see that the Lord is good. To begin to touch hearts that dead things can live again. That God can make wrong things right again. What is my duty? What is your duty? What is our posture in this phase? We're just servants. Hearing God, obeying God, and watching His fruit happen. And this affects a posture of pride or a posture of praise. What do I mean? You remember when Jesus, after He gave the disciples authority to go cast out demons and heal all that were sick, they returned? They said, oh, Lord, we were casting out demons in Your name. Lord, we were seeing sick after sick healed. All the sick were healed. And He says, no, no, don't rejoice and the fact that I saw Satan in some of his strongholds and cities falling down like lightning. He said this, rejoice that your name is written in heaven. What's he saying? It's our posture just to hear him and obey him. We're not to celebrate and we're not to put our praise in what we do. We praise in whose we are and that we're a child of God. Our rejoicing is grounded in the fact that we once were also lost, but now we're found. We once used to be blind, but now we see. Our rejoicing and our posture is in praise for the grace of God in our life, not a posture of pride of, look what I've done. But the posture of pride and praise also comes into prayer. 
Jesus talking about again all these regarding the kingdom of God. In Luke 18, 9 through 14, he says, There was two men who went down the temple to pray. One was self-righteous. He said, Lord, I thank you I'm not like those homosexuals. God, I thank you I'm not like those people with different political views to me. So just foolish, ignorant, can't see. God, I thank you, you know, I don't smoke or chew or date girls who do. He said, but there was another man that came and fell in the temple in the presence of God and said, Lord, I'm still a mess. I'm still broken. I still got areas, Lord, where I need more faith and confidence that you're Lord over sin and struggles and weaknesses and fears of my life. And the Bible says that two men got up, but only one went out with his prayers heard and justified. The one who said was not even felt worthy to look up. But the one who was self-righteous didn't go away justified. What does that mean? Is our posture in prayer prideful and about us and what we've done or is it a posture of praise posture of praise did you know kingdom people are people you find in the posture of prayer because they understand that their master and the king of the kingdom taught disciples to pray what our father who art in heaven hallowed be your name your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven in prayer They're inviting and giving permission to the one who has all power to move. Do you imagine as a church if we, through our posture, gave God permission to begin to reach those through us that he has a heart to reach in this community? For even those that are his children that are bound by religion that's never experienced his power and presence that we give the Lord permission. If you can use anything, you can use me. Lord, I, I know I'm still one and, and, and as like a sinner broken that needs your mercy and grace. But Lord, you as we sang, you put your treasure, you put Christ in earthen vessels. Use me again, Lord. I'm not in a posture of pride. And you know, it's just as much prideful to say God can't use you. As the one who says, I'm the only one that can be used by God. Lord, I will praise you. Because through the finished work of Jesus Christ, you've cleansed me. You've made me your temple. You live in me so that you can live through me. Also, the posture for possibilities. The posture of possibilities. In Luke 18, 27, Jesus talking about the kingdom... He said, the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. That's part of the posture of why he said you must become like a little child. Little children believe anything. I mean, you go and you do a little trick and bring a quarter out of the ear and you tell them, I just got that quarter out of the ear. They're like, whoa, I'm rich. How many quarters are in there? I mean, am I a millionaire? Get more out. They believe anything. Posture of possibilities. Possibilities of how can Christ live through you. A possibility of what kind of fruitfulness he can bring through your life. Possibilities that he can do more than you could ever imagine or ask in us and through us for his glory. Nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. With God. It might be impossible for you, and it might be impossible for those connected to you, and it might be impossible for the men around you, but there's nothing that is impossible for God. 
Could you imagine if we as a church came in here in the posture of the possibilities? That yes, maybe God up to this point, there's been a flow that's been permitted in my life of blood and I'm bleeding and I'm hurting and I'm black and bruised from being abused in life. But the possibility that today is the day His kingdom comes and I'm in a posture of praise. I'm in a posture of possibility. I'm in a posture with eyes wide open to see more than I've ever seen before. I'm in a posture with ears that are big and open to hear things I've never heard before that the Father wants to do in my life. Could you imagine a church that looks around in a community and doesn't say, I see hardened people, but what about God? That there is nothing impossible to them that believe. Possibility, the posture. Possibility that God can raise you up again possibility that God can make you breathe this joy and this peace again. The possibility that depression and shame and things and bondages that's been in your life will be permitted any longer. Can you imagine the joy? Can you imagine the excitement? Can you imagine as you're longing just for the sleep to go away, to wake up another day, to experience the possibilities of the kingdom of God and one who has all power? This is the kingdom. This is how I know whether people sipping and drinking and eating religion or sipping and drinking on Jesus, the one alone that can satisfy, the one alone that can bring peace, the one alone that has the power to permit things and not permit things anymore is because when you're pressing into the kingdom of God, there will always be a sense of adventure. There will always be a new encounter with His power. There will always be a greater perception of His glory and His beauty. Jesus. His kingdom. His story has invited you into His story. Part of history. He's invited you. And now in the kingdom, don't lose the posture of possibilities. And lastly, you see, as Jesus begins to talk about posture, He talks about the posture of persistence. He tells many parables and stories. He talks about an older woman who's got a judge that doesn't fear God, doesn't fear man, very hardened person. But He said, I teach this parable. That men always ought to pray and not lose heart. 13 years, don't lose heart. 14 years, don't lose heart. Seven months, season after season, don't lose heart. Because there was a city judge didn't fear God or regard man, but there was a widow in that city. A widow. That which most, most cities would consider insignificant, that which most cities would see as an outcast, no longer vulnerable, no longer a contribution to society, Jesus is showing that if you'll just get in the posture of humility, if you'll get in the posture of praise, then the one who can do the impossible can begin to move those who said God, or said that thing is never possible. I'll never permit it. God can make people permit it. He says, I don't fear God, I don't care about men, but just because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, at least by her continual coming, she weary me. He says, how shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? God will sweep in and make wrong things right. Because of her Persistence. He tells in Luke 11, he says, What friend goes to another friend at midnight and he continues to knock and said, I've just had some people arrive and I need some food. I don't have enough food for them. What kind of friend? 
will get up because they're a friend. They won't get up because they're a friend, but they'll get up because of the persistence of the person knocking so that they can go back to bed. He says, the kingdom of God, there's got to be some persistence, church. There's got to be a persistence that it's unacceptable that there's a place people can experience Jesus and there's empty seats. There's unacceptable. It's unacceptable that there's a community that is dying, that there's people in bondage. There's got to be a persistence in us in our posture that what is impossible with man is possible with God, that he can shake a city, he can shake a region, that though it's very, very difficult for rich to enter the kingdom of God, what is impossible for man is not impossible for God, that he can make the people around us see their vulnerability and their need for Jesus. For Jesus. Persist. The kingdom of God is persisting like a seed that keeps growing. Like leaven that keeps leavening Persist in growing. Persist in seeing. Persist in hearing. Persist in perceiving. Persist in the right postures. Have poor persistence in your life. Let's stand to your feet. I know there's people here. And the Holy Spirit wants to begin to enlighten the eyes of your heart that you would know the greatness of His power towards you who believe. That you would know the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead and set Him above all authority, above all circumstances, above all winds and all waves. And in you perceiving that power, you would begin to permit Him. You would begin to invite Him into mountains. Begin to invite Him into valleys. Begin to invite Him into dark places, hurting places, deep places. And let His breath cause dead things to live again. Allow Him to break bondages you can never by your own hand break. That you would begin to allow circumstances to say you talk to the hand of God. I've tried with my hand, but talk to the hand of God. God's hand can do what no hand of man can do because all things are possible to him who believes that Jesus has all authority. Let's begin to worship him. Let's begin to talk with him. No one cares who's around you. No one's looking at you. Let the power of his presence be permitted by your posture of praise. Come on. Again, thanks so much for listening to this week's message. If you would like more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org. God bless you.